Welcome everyone. We are continuing our Tuesday class. Again, we'll take a break from Simha for another week to discuss a very important subject that's relevant for now and actually for always. I know <clears throat> that we have a very deep connection, a very deep emotional connection with Eretz Israel. It's almost obvious to us that the land of Israel and us are very much one and the same. We feel it's our home. So it's obvious to us that when anything is going the wrong way, it hurts us, it bothers us, and we do whatever we can, whether it's tefillot or we help or fight, whatever it is. But today I'd like to just step out for a moment from all the emotions, because emotion is very often misleading. A person cannot rely on their emotion to know what's right and wrong. Actually, most mistakes in life have been made because somebody followed their emotion before they used their brain. The emotion, the connection that we have with our hearts to anything is of the utmost importance. A marriage without emotion is not a marriage. But it can't start with emotion. Any good decision has to start with your mind. Before you take on a marriage, it has to be right intellectually. It makes sense. And then you let the emotions hit. You let the emotions hit before your mind, you might be in big trouble. Anything that we do in life, whether it's a business partner, whether it's a business deal, it's very easy for the emotion to connect. But very often, it's not reliable. So I think it's important for all of us who are emotionally connected to the land of Israel to stop for a moment and think intellectually about our connection. Is it a real connection? Is it a correct connection? Things that maybe we didn't think about because they were so obvious. But they may not be so obvious to everybody. So for those who have an emotional connection, it's good to check out our mind and understand everything. And there are many young people not necessarily, not that there isn't older, but more young people that may be confused about the subject. Especially a young person in America or attending universities or any kind of person that's out in the world listening to media and hears all kinds of comments from intelligent people. And a lot of them seem correct and fair and right. 
and it gets to be very confusing. Sometimes the emotion overpowers that, and we ignore it. And for many people, not necessarily. And they're confused about our land. What makes it our land? Is it okay that we have such a land? Didn't somebody else have that land? Is it occupied territory or it's not? All these questions ring in the ear of the honest person and may be troubling if you take away the emotion. So I'd like to address this issue because it's quite important. I don't know if there's a more important issue on this subject. And it happens to be in the most appropriate time, Parashat Bereshit, where this whole war started. As this war began, our nation was beginning Bereshit Bara Elohim. On that first Pasuk, the most, perhaps one of the most well-known Pesukim in the Torah, where it says that Hashem created the world, there is a very famous Rashi. A Rashi that's a must-know for everybody. Every Rashi is beautiful and urgent and essential. This Rashi, in this subject, is the most important. Rashi asks a famous question. What is the reason that the Torah begins by describing the creation? Why does Hashem talk about what He made at the beginning of His Torah? Now let me explain that question. I don't believe Rashi means, by the way, it's not Rashi, it's a Midrash. I don't think the Midrash means that it's not important for us to know who created the world. But the word Torah describes a book of laws. A book that teaches you how to live, what to do, what not to do. How to think, how not to think. It's like a constitution, Le'avdil. In the Constitution of the United States, you don't find the history of this country. It's very important, the history of this country. But it's not part of the Constitution. The Torah is a book of mitzvot. So says Rashi, what is the story of creation doing in the book of mitzvot? What mitzvah is there when I read Bereshit bara Elohim? Therefore, says Rashi, the first mitzvah in the Torah for Am Yisrael, which is making the month, the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, that should be the beginning of the Torah. So Rashi answers, the Midrash answers, by bringing a pasuk in Tehillim. The pasuk says, Koach ma'asav higid le'amo. Hashem taught His people the awesome power of His actions, referring to the creation of the world. We never saw anything like it, where a person would come and create something. You've never seen that in your life. We've seen people put things together. We've seen people take what already exists 
and figure out how to make something beautiful out of it or useful out of it. But you've never seen in your life someone that took something that actually wasn't there and made it from nothing. If I would do that right now, you would say, wow, that's very powerful. Did you see that? That's awesome. Kawah ma'asav means the awesome power of the creation. He taught it to us. He wrote it in the Torah. Why? So already David Amelech is asking the question. It's not just Rashi, it's not just the Midrash. David Amelech is asking the same question. Why do we have to know about Hashem's creation? Answers David Amelech, Latet lahem nahalat goim. So that he can give us the property of the goim. So we learn about the creation, Bereshit bara, and everything in it. For what reason? Because Hashem is going to give us the land of the goim. What's the connection? Continues the Midrash and says, because when you take the land of the Goyim, we're talking about 3,300 years ago, or at least we thought it was talking about 3,300 years ago. When we came to Eretz Yisrael for the first time in the days of Yoshua Benun, this was not a desolate country. It wasn't an empty country. It wasn't a piece of land. It was a country inhabited by many people. There were nations there. There were streets, there were homes, there were governments all over the country. So when we come to Eretz Canaan and we start taking it, you know what the Goyim are going to say to us? And rightfully so. They're going to say, Listim Atem, you're a bunch of thieves. You're taking our land. This is our home. These are our streets. You're taking our country. So what's the answer? Which person wants to live with such a reality? Who likes to live in a home that they stole? A person who is somewhat conscientious is not able to sleep if he took $10 from his friend. To live in a country that you stole? To live in a home that doesn't belong to you? Forget the goyim. Who, who could live with that? Which Jew can live his life with peace of mind knowing that he has stolen property? The other day I mentioned somebody stopped me in the street. He couldn't move on. He told me I couldn't sleep last night. What happened? He says, I didn't pay somebody the full amount of money because I felt I, I really didn't have to pay him because he didn't do the full job. But he says, last night after I did that, I just can't sleep. That I took $200 from the guy. That maybe he deserves it. He can't sleep for $200. He's stopping me in the street. What should he do? Could you imagine living in a country that you stole? So what is the answer to that question? Says the Midrash will say the following. Here is the answer. We say, let's first agree on something. You know, sometimes when you, not sometimes, always, when you argue with somebody, there has to be something you agree on. Because if you agree on nothing, there's nothing to start with. 
So if we can agree on one thing, we can start discussing. You're asking a very good question. How did we take your land? It's a good question. But can we, we agree on something? Because if we can't agree on this, then the conversation is over. So if you think that this is your land, or it's our land, then the conversation is over. Because then you have a great question, and we have no answer. But can we agree that there is no such thing as your land or my land? There is a creator to this world. It's his world. He owns the world. Could we agree to that? You know, our ownership, we also have ownership. Hashem gave us the ability to own something. By the way, that's a hidush, that you're able to own something. Because really, Hashem made everything. We never can make something. How do we own it? Doesn't the maker own it? Hashem gave us the ability to own. But it's like a limited type of ownership. It moves from place to place. I buy a house today, tomorrow I sell it to somebody else, I give it to my children, I buy something, it, something happens to it, I make it ownerless. It, our ownership isn't completely tied to us. It's a limited ownership. Real ownership is when you create something from nothing. The creator of the world owns the world. So can we agree to that? That he's the owner. We don't own. If we can agree to it, then we will explain to you how he owns it and therefore he can decide to give it to you. He can decide to give it to us. It's up to him. It's his world. It's not my world. It's not your world. So therefore, Bereshit bara Elohim is the answer to the question of you're taking my land, you're taking my house, you're taking my property. And we answer, wait, Bereshit bara Elohim, halacha, I'm not taking your land. I'm able to take it because it wasn't yours and I'm not taking it. Hashem gave it to you and now He decided to give it to us. So quite an important pasuk for this subject which means that if we don't believe in the Creator, this conversation has no answer. If you're going to try to answer somebody who says, well, didn't you take somebody's land? And the answer is yes. But it's not his land. And if they're not able to accept Bereshit bara Elohim, then we can't have a conversation. So it's a very timely Rashi in this parasha. But today I came to discuss something further than that. Why did the creator of the world do this? For what reason does he give us a land that was occupied and built by other people? Doesn't the creator have enough land on the planet that he can give his nation a beautiful country that nobody ever lived in? a beautiful island that no one ever touched, he would give it to us, we would build it from scratch, we would make it ours from the beginning of its existence, nobody would have a claim on us. You're right, we do have an answer. But why do we need an answer? Why is it set up that way? There's no question 
that the creator of the world had another option for us. He had another beautiful country for us. Especially if you're talking 3,300 years ago, so much of the world was not built, was not inhabited. So plenty of space. Why did the Creator give us such a land? And like I said in the beginning of the class, when we read this Rashi, it sounds like it's talking about a story that happened thousands of years ago. But we don't realize that this Rashi is eternal. Whenever we are on our land, there are always people saying, you took my land. Whether it's 3,300 years ago, till today. The time of Yoshua Binun, the time of the judges, the Shoftim. There's always been people who lived next to Eretz Israel claiming this is their land. So this is an eternal Rashi. So Hashem set it up basically that there's always going to be people surrounding us saying and claiming it's their land. Why did Hashem do that? I'd like to share with you a few reasons why Hashem would give us somebody else's land instead of our own land that we built. Number one, in no particular order. Number one, Hashem wants us to love our land. When somebody works for something, they love it. When someone gets something for free, they enjoy it. It's a very big difference. Let me explain. If somebody works hard for their money, they love their money. Even if they don't spend a dollar of that money. In fact, when you love money so much, you don't like to spend it. Because why would you get rid of something that you love? When a person works hard for their money, they love the money. When someone gets a gift of money, they enjoy the money. They'll spend it. They'll enjoy what money will do. But they don't enjoy, they don't love just having it. It's like when a grandparent sees their granddaughter or their grandson. They just love them. There's a certain love that comes for the item, for the person. That kind of love can only be acquired through sacrifice. Parents love their children much more than children love their parents. Why? Simple. There's a formula for love. It's called sacrifice. When you sacrifice for someone, you develop a love for them. Those who receive the love, they may enjoy it or enjoy what comes out of it, but they don't love the same, not even close. So if I lived in a land, I could enjoy the land. I enjoy all that it has to offer me. But it would be even greater if I loved the land. How would Am Yisrael love the land that Hashem gave them? There is only one way. 
they have to constantly struggle for the land. When you fight for something, when you're ready to give yourself for something, then you develop a real ahava, a real love that stays with you always. It's not just when you enjoy the land, but always you just love being on that land. This already started from Abraham Avinu. Hashem told him, Lech lecha, go Abraham. Leave your family, leave your city, leave your country, go. We know that was one of his tests. Go where? So interesting, the Pasuk says, go el ha'aretz asher areka. Hashem tells him, go to the land that I will show you. That I will show you? You mean Hashem didn't decide yet where He wants to put him? What does that mean to the land that I will show you? Why well, won't you just tell him where he should go? Could you imagine right now I would tell you, leave your family, leave your city, and I'll let you know when you get there. Get where? How do I go? Should I go south? Should I go north? Should I go east, west? Where should I go? I don't tell you. What's the mystery for? Just tell, tell Abraham. What are you playing, a game with him? Tell him where you want him to go. It's hard enough. He's leaving his people. Now you don't even tell him where he's going? Comes Rashi, Allah Shalom, and gives a, again an important principle in life that applies here. Says Rashi, Lo gilalo ha'aretz miyad. Hashem did not reveal to him the land that he's going to give him. Why? Because he wants him to love it. Since he wants him to love it, so he didn't tell him where it is. Why? What is that? How does that make him love it? Because now he's going to go look for it. Every step he takes, he might be thinking, well, is this the right way to go? The wrong way to go? Every thought in his mind is, where is this land? Is it in... Is it in the North Pole? Is it in a freezing place that has no sun or heat? Is it in a place that I'm going to enjoy or not? Where am I going? That mystery, that struggle that may last for a day or two or a week or whatever it lasts, it's going to create a tremendous ahava for the land. Since he had the struggle, he will be able to enjoy it so much more. By the way, in parentheses, this is a great message to every father and mother. So often in life, when a person doesn't grow up with so much, and even if they grow up with so much, but very often when they don't grow up with so much, and they had to struggle when they were younger, they didn't have the money to buy this or to buy that. So when they, thank Hashem, make money now, they say, well, my children will never have to struggle like me. My children, I'm going to give them everything before they ask me. Because why should they struggle like I struggle? I want to save them from the struggles. Now, certain struggles may be appropriate to save them from. But you have to keep in mind a very important thing. 
If you give your children everything, then you're stealing away from them their ability to love it, which is a very important pleasure in the things that we have. So you may be saving them from the struggle, but you're taking away from them their ability to enjoy. It's so important that a person struggles, works to achieve and make for themselves because they will love it and enjoy it when they have it. So we have to be aware of that principle, not just to hand out everything. It seems so easy just to give. And it even seems so kind. But I don't think it's so kind to steal somebody's love for something. That wouldn't be considered kindness. We have to be aware and we have to be careful how to use, if we have extra, how to make sure to use it in a way that our children will enjoy life to the utmost. Close parentheses. This is the way Hashem wanted us. He didn't want to just give us a beautiful land. He didn't just want us to enjoy it. He wanted us to love it every minute. Just like you love your grandchild, you love that grandchild. You can't stop thinking about your grandchild. Hashem wanted us to love this land. Fight for it and you love it. And by the way, it's a reality. You know, today over here in America, we live in a very comfortable place. Baruch Hashem, it's more or less peaceful. We're not really worried about too many things as far as security and safety. We have, many people have a lot, thank Hashem, they have homes, they have not only one home, they may have maybe more than one home. They have a lot of help, they have, it's beautiful. Imagine you would tell one of the people in Israel that fight for the land, that when they call up people to fight, they're the first one that show up because we're ready to fight. Could you imagine, tell them, what are you living here for? It's a headache. Come, you're living on the Gaza border. What are you, you lost your mind. For what reason? Every day you're living in danger. Every day you're living not knowing what's going to be with your life. Come to Ocean Parkway. It's, it's, it's so nice here. There's no terrorists here. There's no danger here. It's so comfortable here. Come here, I'll get you a nice house. Maybe a 40 by 100, 50 by 100. Maybe even more if you like. Maybe we'll get you a second house by the beach somewhere. It's very nice. Very nice life. Very comfortable. What are you doing living across the road from people that want to kill you? Well, what's wrong with you? You know what they would do? They would laugh at you. They would regularly laugh at you. They would go, are you crazy? It's, you know what it's like? It's like telling a mother who has a child that's a little bit of a struggling child. She says, you know, mom, I'll make you a trade. I have a kid, he's very brilliant, he's very smart, good looking too. Let's make a trade. I'll give you my child, give me yours, I'll take the problem off your hand. Okay, I see some, of the, some people are saying it's a good idea. But I, 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 I don't think that's a reality. The reality is if you tell a mother to take away her child, she's not doing it. Because you can't give up on something that you love. You never divorce a child. While people get divorced in marriage, but never does someone divorce their child, even if their child is worthy of divorce. 
Because when you love someone, you just can't get rid of them. You need them to be with you because you love them. Imagine you tell your mother, the mother, but you have 10 more. What's the problem? <laughs> what, what's the issue? Could you imagine? Oh, you know what? Have another one. What, 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 what's the issue? It doesn't work like that. When you love someone, there's no trading. There's no negotiating. There's no, there's, easy, there's an easier way. I can figure it out. There's no such thing. A person who fights for the land of Israel loves the land of Israel. We may also have a love somewhere in our heart, but it's nowhere near the person that's fighting for the land. They will laugh in your face if you offer them anything else but where they are. Hashem gave us a land that we will always have to fight for. We've been fighting for this land for 3,300 years. When Moshe Rabbeinu when Yoshua, excuse me, went into Eretz Israel, it was not a walk in the park. It was a fight. And throughout the years in Israel, there were enemies constantly waiting for us on the borders to take back their land. This is not a new story. And it was set up that way. We're always going to have the opportunity to fight for our land. Korban means sacrifice. The word korban comes from the word karov. You could only become close to someone or to something when you sacrifice. That's why a teacher loves a student more than a student loves a teacher. In general, every relationship, when you sacrifice, you love. That's why the Gemara says that there's a halakha that if you're watching somebody's fruits, person has a lot of fruits that they just took from their field and they're going away for a few days and they ask you, could you store my apples in your warehouse till I come back? And you say, of course, I have a spot. Please put them right there. They'll be there when you come back. A week passes, two weeks pass, three weeks pass. They didn't show up. Now the apples start to rot. They're starting to lose their value. So what are you supposed to do? So maybe we would say, it's not my problem. If they don't come back, it's their fault. Halakha says, no, you can't do that. If somebody has money and it's getting lost, your job is to return it. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go, take the apples, sell them, turn the apples into cash, and when the person comes back, you say, here's your apples. Here's your money. Because your apples, if by the time you came back, they wouldn't be apples anymore. You'd have zero. So I saved you from your loss. Just like you have to return a lost object, you have to give a person the ability to get back his money. So again, it's not your fault, but it's your obligation. Now, listen to this Gemara. The Gemara says that all this applies if it's apples that he's doing business with, meaning he bought the apples from somebody else. But if they're homegrown apples, if they're the apples that he worked for, he plowed, he planted, and he's working for months to get those apples. If those apples are 
the product of his own personal labor, says the Gemara, you don't sell them. You let them go down and down and down, up to a certain level. Why? Says the Gemara, because a person would rather apples of lower quality that he worked on than better apples that he bought from somebody else. Which means maybe the enjoyment of the apple may be more on the better kind that didn't rot, but the love of the apple that he worked for, that love you can't replace. Unless you're going to destroy the apple totally, you keep it there and you wait, and you wait for him. How many times has someone come over to you with tomatoes that they grew and say, oh, you got you to gotta taste my tomatoes. You have no idea. And you taste them and of course you have to lie and say, oh my gosh, these are the greatest tomatoes since Adam Arishon was created. You go crazy, but reality is you don't taste anything. The tomatoes in the store taste better. But to them, it's like a taste of olam haba. Why? Because they worked. When you work for your tomatoes, you love your tomatoes. It's unexplainable in the physical world, but in the world of love, it's real. When you work for something, you love it. That is why Hashem wanted us to fight for our land always. By the way, on a side note, we read in the previous parasha, that the Torah is called Esh. Esh Dat. The Dat means the Torah, Esh. It's a fire. So Rashi says, what does it mean, it's a fire? So Rashi says that when Hashem made the Torah, He made it with black fire over white fire. That's what Rashi says. Most people read that Rashi say, what is he talking about? Black fire over white fire? What does that have to do with the Torah? What does that mean even? What it means is that the Torah is so beautiful, it's like white, it's gorgeous, it's sweet. One who learns Torah loves the Torah. When a person learns Torah and connects to it, it's such a pleasure, it's sweetness that's very hard to describe unless a person has experienced it. What did Hashem do to this sweet Torah, that white Torah? He put it, He put a black fire over it. He made it not so easy to understand. When you sit down to learn Torah, very often it's not so easy. What does that mean? Oh, there's a question on that. I don't get that. What's the logic to that? Oh, isn't there a contradiction on that? And you're struggling. And you walk away. Sometimes you sit and learn. Just last night I was here learning till late at night, and we got stuck with something, and we couldn't understand it. We, we sat probably 45 minutes on one line, and in the end, no answer. We walked out, have no idea what that means. And we're thinking, and this morning we're thinking, and we're still stuck. But hopefully, we'll get to it. When we do get to it, it's like this feeling that you can't imagine. Why did Hashem make the black fire to cover the white fire? He made it difficult before it gets sweet. The black means you don't understand. The white means clarity. 
because he wants us to love it. So when it comes to Torah, you have to struggle. You have to work. When you don't get it, that's part of the process of love. Korban, sacrifice, makes karov. Okay. That's reason number one why Hashem gave us a land that will always be fought for by other people. Because we always have to struggle and be willing to fight for our land. Number two, another reason. I'm not sure if you know this. And this is a whole different class, another subject. But one of the measurements of a great person in this world says the Shulchan Aruch in the first chapter, first siman of Shulchan Aruch, which has thousands and thousands of chapters. The first chapter of Shulchan Aruch that covers every halakha and every subject. Says the Ramah, you want to know how to measure greatness in life? What is it measured by? You look at a person, they're great, not so great. What is it measured by? How much kindness they do? How many mitzvot they do? How much Torah they know? How do you measure greatness? Says the Ramah, greatness is measured by how much of your life is lived in the company of Hashem. Do you live your life with the Creator? Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. There are people in our history, and maybe even today, that wherever they are in life, whether they're working or eating or learning or taking care of their children, no matter what they're doing, they live with Hashem. They have this relationship. Living with Hashem, by the way, means no anxiety. Living with Hashem means no fear. Living with Hashem means that there's no thing in this world that makes you scared. I'm not scared of anything. I'm only scared to mess up my relationship with my Creator. That's the only thing I'm scared of. Living with Hashem is this great joy. It's like basking in this glow of life that no matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your life, you become this powerful person that has so much confidence in what you're doing and there's no fear of anything. How could you fear anything when you live with the Creator of the world? That is the measurement of greatness. And you don't have to be learning Torah all day to have this. You could be doing anything. You are aware of your Creator wherever you go. You wake up in the morning, thank you Hashem. You need something, Hashem, please help me. Thank you for that gift that you gave me. Wow, I just got a nice order. Thank you for that. Oh, my daughter's got engaged. Thank you, it's so beautiful. I really appreciate it. I really need something. Could you help me with this? Your day is constantly spent with the Creator of the world. By the way, we see it in this week's parasha. How many things do you know about Noah? If I asked you, you know Noah was saved from the Mabu. How many things do you know about his life accomplishments? I mean, surely... He did a lot of things because he was the only one saved from the destruction of the Mabul. How many things do you know about him? What did he accomplish in his life? I bet you can't even name one. Well, I'll tell you what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says, Ele Toledot Noah. This week's parasha. Noah 
Ish Tzadik Tamim. He was righteous. He was complete. We still don't know anything. We just know he was righteous and complete. We don't know in what. What did he do? What did he accomplish? One line. Nothing else. Listen to this line. Et Ha'Elohim Hitalech Noah. Noah lived his life with Hashem. Nothing else. Nothing is mentioned. That is it. Once you have that, you don't need anything else. That's one of the great qualities in life of a human being. That's why Hashem always tells us, for example, lechet im Elohecha, Live your life with Hashem. Make Him a partner in everything you do. You get married, bring the Shekhinah into your home. You've heard that a thousand times. If the Shekhinah is in a marriage, the marriage is beautiful. What does that mean? It means that you bring Hashem into your home. Well, Hashem is in your home. He's everywhere. No, no, it means that you recognize Him. It means that when you pick up something to eat, you say a beracha, thank you. It means that whenever something is going on in your home, Hashem is part of it. It's not a heavy thing. It may sound very heavy. Well, Hashem is with you all the time. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that makes your life way higher and much sweeter. By the way, Yaakov Avinu, when he was blessing his grandchildren, and he was talking about his fathers, Avraham and Yitzhak, what did he say about them that impressed him most about Avraham and Yitzhak? Look what he says. Vayibarech et Yosef. Yaakov came to bless Yosef, his children. Vayomar, and he says, Ha'Elohim, the Creator, Asher hithalechu avotai lefanav. The Creator that my fathers walked with him. That's the one praise that Yaakov has for his fathers. That they lived their life with Hashem. This was their legacy that they left their son Yaakov. This land of Israel that we always have to fight for, people are always telling us you're thieves, you're living in occupied territory. Occupied means it's not yours. This land that has been how a story for 3,300 years, the same story, it forces us to remember Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. We have no choice. If you live on that land and you forget Hashem is the owner of the world, then you're a thief. You have no answer to any question. In order to live a normal life of an honest person that has a clean conscience, you need to have constantly awareness. Wait, the world belongs to the Creator. In America, you might forget that. You could live here for a hundred years and not once remember there's a Creator to this world. You can get so lost in the physical world and forget who is helping you, who is doing for you. It's possible. But in Eretz Yisrael, you cannot forget because you're constantly going to be challenged. And the only answer is Bereshit bara Elohim. is the only answer. So it's a land that constantly will remind you of the Creator of the world in your midst. Otherwise, you cannot survive in that land. Number three. 
Important number three. You know what a land that constantly has enemies surrounding it, claiming it's theirs thus fast? It forces us to live be'ahdut. It forces us to be united. And it forces us to love each other. Let me explain a little more. First of all, fact. If, God forbid, there would be a civil war in the United States of America, if all the states would be fighting with each other, New York would be fighting New Jersey, Pennsylvania would be fighting Maryland, Kansas will be fighting whatever other cities next to it, state next to it. If there will be a civil war in America, and then all of a sudden there's an attack from a foreign country, Canada attacks the United States. Is there any chance for America to win a war against a foreign country if they have a civil war? Answer is, of course not. There's no chance. The only way you can win a war is if you unite all your power against the invading country. In the land of Israel, the land forces us to live together, united. Am Yisrael is not meant to be a bunch of individuals who live together. Am Yisrael is meant to be a nation that lives as one. It's a nation that fights for each other and loves each other. There is no land, there's no religion in the world that expects you to love another person like you love yourself. In fact, it may even sound ridiculous to most people. To love another person like I love myself? But Am Yisrael is expected to look at each other as a family and we're supposed to live together in great unity. That is a must for the survival of our people. It's a longer class than today. Why? That's so important. But for example, Beirut, when she was following Naomi, and Naomi was discouraging her, said, come on, you don't have to convert. Just stay where you are. You have a palace, you have money, you have fame. What are you coming with me for? She told her, I'm coming with you. She told her, Amech Ami. Your nation is my nation. Elohaich, your God, Elohai, is my God. The question is, if her God is the same God as Naomi, that means she's a Jew. That means she's following all the laws. Why does she say your nation is my nation? What does that add to your God is my God? If I follow the God that you follow, it means I'm doing exactly like you. Why does she say, and your nation is my nation? The answer is that there's two components in Am Yisrael. One component is that we have a creator and we follow his rules. The other component is that we become part of one nation, that we become responsible for each other. That if a Jew is not acting properly, that's my problem. I need to figure out if I can help that person. 
It is my problem. Not like in America when they say, not my problem. To each his own. That's his thing. This is my thing. It's not like that. In our nation, it doesn't work like that. We are considered one body. All parts of one body. And we need to feel that responsibility. Not always can we do for others. Sometimes they don't allow us. Sometimes we can't because we don't have the time or ability. But we need to feel that responsibility. Other countries that start to fight within, usually what happens is they create a North America and a South America. They create two countries, two cities. They separate. You know what? You have your thing, we'll have our thing. South Korea, North Korea. We'll just separate. Like Abraham told Lot, listen, find your way. You choose which way you want. I'll choose the other way. We'll just live separate. Every other nation in the world, at some point in their history, separated. That's how the world expanded to so many countries. Everyone came from Adam Harishon. How is there so many countries in the world and so many different types of people in the world and each one has their own little story and their own little history? Answer is, at some point, there was a fight somewhere, a fight for power, a fight for land, a fight for something. And they decided, you know what, instead of fighting all day long, let's just separate. You take this part, I take this part. And the world has continued to grow that way. But that's not an option by Am Yisrael. Imagine that happened by Am Yisrael. Today, the land of Israel would be probably about 10 countries. Am Yisrael is very much into their opinions. And they're ready to fight for their opinions. And you have all kinds of Jews living in Israel. If the rule of the lands applied to Israel today, by now we would have 10 countries, at least. But that's not an option. Am Yisrael can only be one nation. Amech Ami, we're one nation. We cannot be more than one. Hashem gave us a land that forces us to come together. And if you ask me, like, how? What do you mean? How does it force us? Well, I don't think there's a greater example than what we saw the last few months. There hasn't been, in the last 70 years, in the land of Israel, the type of mahloket, the type of brotherly hatred that we saw in Israel in the last few months. There hasn't been. There's always mahloket. There's arguments. But hatred and protesting in the most vicious way. Never did we see such a thing in 70 years. So our country, you've heard the words civil war in the last few months. You've heard maybe separate into two different areas because there's no way we could live together. You're like this, I'm like that. There's no way for us to make it work. Those are the things that have been discussed in the last few months by many people. Those are the feelings. You know what would happen in a natural world? At some point, they would just separate. But that's not an option for our people. Our people cannot separate. 
So what does the Creator do? He gives us a land that always someone is waiting for a crack. Someone is waiting for a civil war to break in and to destroy. And the minute that comes, all of a sudden we wake up and we realize, oh my goodness, we can't live like this and we need to unite. And all of a sudden, we kiss and hug and we love each other. It's a land that forces ahdut. It's a land that forces us to love each other. Because when you go to fight, you don't fight for yourself only. You fight for your brother. You fight for your cousin. When you fight for someone, you love them. You develop an ahava. Hashem did not give us a land from nothing. He gave us a land that people are constantly warning us, stay together, otherwise we're coming against you. We're waiting for you to divide so we can conquer. Am Yisrael is meant to be together. So much so, by the way, just how awesome this is, so much so that we need to be together, and it's so important, if you ever wondered how important it is, the Pasuk says in the Navi, Havur Atzavim Ephraim. When Am Yisrael is serving idols, who can imagine the worst thing they could be doing? They're serving idols, but they're Havur. Havur means they do it together. They love each other. They're serving idols together. Havur Atzavim. They're together serving idols. Hanahlo. Hashem says, leave him. Could you imagine? Leave? He's not saying you're doing a great job. But leave him. If you're a nation together, you can make it. Even if you're doing bad things. But, halak libam. But once they go and they start to, that their heart separate from each other, they no longer look at their family as their brothers. They no longer look at Am Yisrael as their mishpacha. Hashem says now, they can't survive like this. Hazal explained to us, in the days of Ahav, Ahav was one of the worst kings in our nation, serving idols, but they had Ahdut. When they went to war, in the days of Ahav, they always won. But in the days of David HaMelech, where they had so much Torah and so much Avodat Hashem, but there was a break in the Ahdut of Am Yisrael, there was Din in Am Yisrael. By the way, the Rambam, just you know, it's halakha. This is actually halakha le maaseh. I don't know if you know this. It applies to halakha. Without going into too much detail, the Rambam writes that let's say a beddin, a, a, a beddin of rabbis, has a situation where they need to save part of the Jewish people from doing the wrong things and the only way they could do it is by telling some people to do the wrong thing. Would we tell some people to do the wrong thing so that we could save more people from doing the wrong thing? Says the Rambam, we do it. Who could have imagined? You'll tell people, yes, do the wrong thing. Why? So you could save those people. Says the Rambam, how is that possible? That you're telling someone to do the wrong thing? Says the Rambam, Keshem, just like a doctor sometimes has to cut a hand or an arm in order to save the body. 
So too sometimes you have to do an avira to save the other people. Says the Radbastra Rambam, what kind of mashal is that? When you cut somebody, Hasra Shalom, an arm to save his body, it's the same person. You're cutting his arm to save his body. But here you're telling Reuven to sin so that Shimon and Levi don't sin. That's not a fair comparison. Says the Radbaz, unless we're supposed to look at Am Yisrael as one body. Because if we look at ourselves as one body, then the mashal makes sense. And that's the way we're supposed to look at it. We're supposed to look at ourselves as one unit. Now, by the way, we don't need enemies to make us united. Don't get me wrong. That's a last-ditch save from annihilation. Really, what's supposed to unite us is the Torah that we have. In fact, on this week's parasha, there's a midrash that seems to be uh, uh, silly. The midrash says that when Hashem made the world, He started with Bet. So Aleph says the midrash got very upset. He says to Hashem, it's not fair. I'm Aleph, you started with Bet. What kind of voice the kavod? Hashem says to the Aleph, don't worry. When I give the Torah and Har Sinai, I'm going to start with Aleph. That's the end of the Midrash. Like I said, it sounds somewhat silly. But let me give you the depth of this Midrash. The depth of the Midrash says like this. That Bet and Aleph represent something. Aleph represents one. Aleph represents Ahdut. Aleph represents where everybody's together. Bet represents separation. Two, I'm different, I'm not like you. Aleph says to Hashem, why did you create with Bet? Why did you make people so different from each other? Now that they're different, they struggle in their friendships. They struggle in their marriages. They struggle in, with their neighbors. They're constantly arguing. They're constantly fighting. You know why they're fighting? Because they're not like each other. When we're different, it causes us to get annoyed. Oh my goodness, he's always... Opening the window. I don't like it cold. Oh, another fight. He likes to go out all the time. I don't want to go out. Another fight. Every fight he ever had, it's from people not agreeing to something because they're different. So actually, Hashem caused the fighting by making the world in bet. The Aleph says to Hashem, wouldn't it have been much better if everybody was created Aleph Everyone was one, everyone thought the same, liked the same things, liked the same food, liked the same habits. Then we would get along, we would love each other. We would always be doing for each other what we would like for ourselves. It would be beautiful. What a world that would be. The Aleph had a big complaint. Why'd you make the world in bet? Like the Gemara says, no one, no one person looks the same, thinks the same, sounds the same. Why? Hashem says to the Aleph, this is my design of this world. That I'm going to make the world bet. That everyone's going to be different. But when I give them the Torah and Har Sinai, the Torah, with its guidance, could turn the bet into an Aleph. 
it could turn two people in marriage that are so different in so many ways and yet through the Torah and its mitzvot and guidance they become Aleph they become Aleph by choice they don't become Aleph because I force them it's free choice to become one with another Hashem says I made the world by design that way I want that people should become together with their own accomplishment. They should turn two into one. That's what it means when Hashem says to the Aleph, don't worry, when I give the Torah and Har Sinai, Anochi, then there will be Aleph. It's so, not only beautiful this Midrash, it's so valuable, so true. A person, who, a, a couple that gets married and they have Torah values that guide their marriage is a whole different relationship. It has nothing, nothing to compare with someone who doesn't have the Torah being the pillar that guides their life. A Torah marriage, I was just talking to someone and they were describing to me something about their marriage the sensitivity that they have for each other it's something unimaginable a marriage that is through Torah is a marriage full of sensitivity the famous story of a great rabbi that he got older and he got sick and he, his eyesight was no longer as good. He was a great rabbi and he had one of the boys from his yeshiva would stay with him overnight. They would switch off to be with the rabbi. So one day, one of the boys that's staying with the rabbi as he leaves, he's walking out and he looks a little nicer than usual. So the rabbi says, where are you going? He says, Rabbi, tonight I have a date. He says, you have a date? That's beautiful. He says, but why are you wearing white socks? <laughs> what? If you're going on a date, you're wearing white socks. It's not so nice. Why don't you wear something nicer? And then the young man looks at the rabbi and says, Rabbi, you always wear white socks. <laughs> How could you tell me that? He says, come, come to my drawer. You'll see all the colors that you want. You have blue, you have navy. He says, why don't you take one for you and put it on? He says, and you want to know why I wear white socks? Let me explain to you. My wife, hard for her to see to differentiate between black and navy he says instead of her working hard to figure out black and navy I just wear white socks <laughs> now I'm not sure why he didn't just buy black socks <laughs> but that's not the point she the yeah she bought the socks I guess she, he couldn't argue with her but that's not the point the point is 
that when you have a Torah marriage, it's much more than, oh, here's the money that I work for you. You know how people give money? I work so hard for my money. Here, you owe me. I do so much for this family. That's the rhetoric in, in, in marriages, in decent marriages. In Torah marriages, is a whole different world. A Torah marriage is a marriage of sensitivity. It's thinking about what the other person needs, what they're in pain about, how to address it. Hashem says, with the Torah and Har Sinai, they will be in Aleph. So really, the unity of Am Yisrael is supposed to happen through Torah. But when it doesn't happen, the land will force us to unite again. I'm going to give you another reason why we needed to take somebody else's land. The land of Israel, I'm not sure if you know, is called Eretz HaHayim. It's a pasuk in Yehezkel. In fact, in Tehillim, David al-Melech says, we say it in Hallel. Et halech lifne Adonai. I want to walk in front of Hashem. That's what we said before. Shiviti Hashem. Be'artzot ha-hayim. In the land of Hayim. Says the Midrash. Who, where is this land of Hayim? Says the Midrash. Zo Eretz Yisrael. The land of Israel is called the land of life. The Midrash says that there are ten things called Hayim. Hashem is Elohim Hayim. Hashem is called alive. The Torah is called Etz Hayim. Yisrael is called Hayim. And Eretz Yisrael is called Hayim. What does it mean that the land of Israel is called Hayim? Eretz Hayim. It means, you know, in life, there's all different levels of life. The life of a cat, of an elephant, of a human, of a Jew, of a tzaddik. Not all life is the same. We're all living right now, but we're all not living the same way. There's lower level of life. A person, Lo Alen, who's suffering his whole life. They're in pain, they're depressed, they're down. They're alive. They're breathing. We're not sitting shiva on them. But they're not really alive. There's a certain type of hayim that's very alive. A life that is way above the physical world. It's an eternal life. It's a very sweet life. It's a very energetic life. It's a life when there's no time to sleep. It's a life where you're just involved and doing and you have no time to accomplish what you're doing. You're helping, you're growing. The land of Israel is called Eretz HaHayim because it's a land that helps growth. And if you ask me, when did that start? So this started way before we had a country. The pasuk in this week's parasha, Parashat Noah, says that Terah, the, the father of Abraham, he was an idol worshiper. Not a great man, but a spiritual man. A spiritual man in the wrong things. It says, Vayikah Terah, Terah took his family and they left Ur Kasdim. That's where they lived. They left. Lalechet Arza Kena'an. They wanted to go and relocate to where? To Eretz Kena'an, to Eretz Israel. Why? By the way, he never made it. But why did he want to relocate there? Says the Sephorno over there. 
The Sephorno says, because this land is ready, Muchenet, it's ready for ma'alot muskalot. It's ready to raise a person spiritually more than any land in the world. Like the Pasuk says, Eretz asher Hashem Elohecha doresh ota. It's a land that Hashem Himself is watching over it. He is directly involved in it. He continues and says, by the way, a separate point, he says that the avir, the atmosphere, the air of Israel, was not affected in the Mabul like the rest of the world. I'm not sure what that means. But it means that Eretz Israel is a very special land. Just like Hashem made a special day called Shabbat, Hashem made a special land in the world called Eretz Israel. Way before we even were a nation, there was a land of Israel. It was known that this land is a place where spirituality grows. Hashem gave us a land that every nation in the world wants because they see something special in that land. He didn't give us some property that nobody's interested in. He gave us something that everybody wants. When I give you something that everybody wants, it means it's something very special. This land is very special. It's not by accident that every major religion says, oh, that's my land, that's my home. I need to be there. Why need to be there? It's a small country. It's so tiny. What's so important about it? Answer is, it's Eretz HaHaim. It's a land that gives wisdom. Hazal tell us, there's no Torah like Torah of Eretz Israel. You want to hear interesting Gemara? The Gemara over there, Masachet Arachin, talks about that Yehoshua Binun didn't pray for Hashem to abolish the desire for idol worship. Interesting Gemara. We know later on in history, the men of great assembly, they, uh, they prayed to abolish that desire. That's why today we don't desire it. But the Gemara says, how come Yehoshua Benun didn't pray to abolish it? So says the Gemara, Bishlama Moshe, listen to this Gemara. Next time you go to Israel, you'll remember this Gemara. Says the Gemara, I understand why Moshe didn't pray. I mean, why are you asking on Yehoshua? Why don't you ask on Moshe? Oh, Bishlama Moshe didn't pray to abolish the idol worship and the desire for it. Because he wasn't in Israel. But Yeshua, who was in Eretz Israel, how could he not pray? Do you know what this Gemara is saying? That the tefillah in Eretz Israel is a whole different tefillah. Okay, Moshe didn't pray, he's not in Israel. So that his prayer is not that great. But Yeshua Benun is in Israel. That tefillah is very powerful. Eretz Yisrael is a land of spirituality. That is why everybody wants it. And everyone always wanted it for the same reason. Hashem couldn't give us some other land. That is the land of spirituality. And finally, I'm going to end off by telling you the following. There is an explicit pasuk in Tehillim. The pasuk in Tehillim says, it's in, it's in Perek, 105, Kufheh. Says David Hashem gave us the land of the Goyim. And the toil of the nations, Yirashu, we inherited. 
basically discussing our question today. Hashem gave us their hard work. He gave us their land. Why? Ba'avur. Ba'avur means so that in order. Yishmeru hukav ve'torotav yinsoru. So that we keep the Torah and the mitzvot. Let's repeat one more time. Hashem gave us the land of the Goyim. He gave us their hard work. Why? So that we can keep the Torah. Why can't we keep the Torah if He gave us a land that's ours from the beginning? What's the connection? He gave us the land of the Goyim so that we can keep the Torah. Why can't we keep the Torah if we had our own land? The answer is, why were the Kena'anim thrown out of Eretz Kena'an? Not because we took it from them. Like we see when Moshe sent the Miraglim, he told them, make sure there's no great tzaddik that will protect them because it's time to get rid of them from this land. They're not behaving the right way. If there's a great person, that might protect them. The reason why the Kena'anim were thrown out of Israel is because they did such terrible averot, their tum'ah, the land could not handle tum'ah like the goyim were doing in Erez Kena'an. That's why in Kippur, on Kippur we read, we read this in Minha. What do we read in Minha on Kippur? The Pasuk says in Aharemot, Hashem says to us, Kema'aseh, Eretz Mitzrayim, like the actions of the land of Egypt, Eretz and like the actions of the land of Kenaan, do not follow their ways. The land of Israel is a land that cannot hold on to people who are living in Tum'ah. The land will spit them out. The land will not be able to handle it. Other countries, they could handle it. Other places in the world, Thailand, Las Vegas, you name any place in the world, any Tamai you put there, the land could handle it, maybe up to a certain point. But Israel, the land of Israel, is too sensitive of a country. It's not able to handle it. That's why it says, by the Miraglim, when the ten spies that were against going to Israel, what was their claim? What did they say to the people why they shouldn't go to Israel? They told them the following line. Listen to this beautiful line. They told them, Eretz, this is a land, Ochelet Yosheveha. It's a land that devours the people who sit on it. What does that mean, the people who sit on it? Just say, Ochelet Ameha, Achelet Anasheha. What's Yosheveha? There are two types of people in life, and there's only two kinds. There are the people who are going up, or the people who are not going up. They're just cruising, which by definition means they're going down. Yosheveha means people who are not growing. Says the Miraglim, this land is way too dangerous. If you're chilling in your life and you're living in America, you could make it. You could chill your whole life and you can make it. The land won't bother you. 
but you're going to be Yosheveha in Israel? You know the expectation in Israel says the ten meraglim. It's too much, too much pressure. We have to constantly be growing. Eretz ochelet Yosheveha. We can't live like this. It's a land that devours those people who aren't growing. What did Yoshua, what did Kalev tell them? Kalev told them, Alo na'ale. Alo na'ale means we're not here to sit. We didn't come to sit. We're coming to go up. We're coming to grow. You're right. Hashem gave us this land so we can go higher and higher. Not in one minute, not in one day. But we're going to go higher and higher. Alo na'ale. Alo na'ale. This land of Israel is not for people who are looking to cruise. Land of Israel is made for people that need to grow and to go higher and higher. In fact, the energy of the land forces you to move. Somebody asked me yesterday, such a great question. Why do we find that in Israel we have such big tum'ah with Jews lower in Israel than they are in America? You have very holy Jews in Israel that you don't have in America. But you also have very Tameh Jews in Israel that you don't have in America. How could that be? The answer is that the energy in that land is so powerful. As you know, Hashem only gives the energy. How we use it is up to us. So in Israel, you can have the greatest Jew or you can have the worst Jew. But it's a land that will not be able to hold on to that kind of Jew for a long time. It's our history, by the way. It's not no Hidushim. Our history is always like that. Our history has been always our the first destruction, the second destruction, the Galut. It's always been that way. When Am Yisrael doesn't live like Am Yisrael, the land will not be able to keep them. They will spit them out. The way they spit out the, the Kena'anim. And that's why Hashem gave us the land of the Goyim. It's almost like a warning. It's a warning sign. You know why they're not in? You know why you threw them out? And you're in? There's only one reason why you threw them out. Because they messed up. And you are given the land in order to raise yourself. But when you start to go down... Just remember, they're waiting for you. It's a warning sign to our people that our land and our connection to ourselves and to Hashem is very much connected. The land of Israel is not a separate land. It's connected with Am Yisrael and with Hashem. It's all one unit. When we mess up one, when we mess up with our unity with Am Yisrael, we lose Eretz Yisrael. When we mess up Eretz Yisrael with our actions, we lose the land as well. Hashem always reminds us with our enemies. I'm not sure that if we will destroy one enemy, then it's going to be over. I don't think that's the way it works. Am Yisrael has always had those enemies waiting for us. Of course, we have to defend ourselves. We have to fight for just to stay alive. No question about that. But at the end of the day, we have to realize what kind of land we live in. That was answer Number five. I will end off by telling you 
that the land of Israel is a mitzvah to live there. The land of Israel is not just a place to live. It's a mitzvah. Every second, for example, in the sukkah, every second you're in the sukkah, you do a mitzvah. Every second you live in Israel, it's a mitzvah. Not that you do mitzvot. Just living there is a mitzvah. And by nature, mitzvot are always harder. It's harder to wake up than to sleep. It's harder to learn than to relax. It's easier to be a drug addict than to be a Talmud Hacham. It's always harder to do mitzvot than, not to, do, than to do something that's not a mitzvah. That's how Hashem made the world. And since the land of Israel is a mitzvah, automatically it has to come with sacrifice. That's another reason why Hashem gave us a land that's always with enemies around it, in it, taking it over. Why? Because it's a mitzvah. When things are a mitzvah, automatically it's going to take sacrifice and hard work in order to achieve it. Bottom line, as a review of today's class, like I warned you in the beginning, this was not a class talking to your heart. I didn't come today to talk to your heart. Usually I like talking to your hearts because you walk out and you're excited to do something. Today was not that kind of class. Today was a class talking to your mind. And even though you may walk out and not necessarily be flying from the class because it hit your emotions and you're crying from all the information and the stories that I share with you, but today we got very clear information about what it is that we're feeling emotional about. This information is so critical for us to live with all the time. Why it's not occupied territory. Why it is our country. Who gave us our country? What is it that we're fighting for? What's the answer to all the questions? What should our children clearly know? It's very important to have this information stored in our mind to be strong in our understanding and strong in our belief and strong in our approach to the land of Israel. Be'ezrat Hashem, we will see tremendous Yeshuot ve'nehamot ve'karov. Amen.